Well, we're in full swing now. Christmas is upon us. Kids are out of school. Everybody's going crazy shopping, fighting over Christmas trees and presents, trying to make sure that everybody's got what they need. Wrapping presents, dealing with family, all that is upon us. And here's the thing. It is now totally, totally unavoidable. You are going to hear Christmas songs, but nothing like Christmas song to get us in the mood, in the, in, in the spirit of Christmas, like we saw at the beginning. Nothing can spread Christmas cheer than to sing loudly for all to hear, right? Exactly. And so, but here's the thing. I have a warning. You've got to be careful. If you're out and about and you're wearing headphones, something like this might happen. had that happen headphones are on and you think it sounds great everybody around you hears not the same <laughs> that guy actually freaked out some people in that video i thought that's great that guy actually has a whole series of different uh videos with him um, singing with his headphones on out in public sometimes dancing and, no, and nobody can hear the music so it's really funny awkward stuff or whatever but we've been talking about how to get true Christmas spirit. Now, certainly to get warm fuzzies and get all the good feelings of Christmas, you one way we would do that is to listen to Christmas songs so we get our playlist going. And one of the things we said is if you really want to get the, to the heart of true, genuine, real Christmas spirit, the way to do that is to have go back to that original Christmas playlist. And what we saw was at the very beginning, we saw Mary, this is the Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, Mary's song, um, her song, the um, Magnificat. And then we saw uh, Zachariah's song, the uh, Benedictus. And now this week, we, we're going to see the Gloria in Excelsis. But first, let's review real quick what we saw in that original Christmas playlist. First of all, we saw in Mary's song that the true Christmas spirit is a, is a spirit of worship and delight. That flows out of our desperate need for God. And Mary sings out of her need and praising God for meeting her in her deepest needs. And secondly, we saw that the Christmas spirit in Zechariah's song is a spirit of believing and that belief, that gospel belief flowing out of us in the spirit of singing. So believing and singing. And so this week, we're going to see the angel's song. The Gloria and Excelsis Deo. It's what happened. What's going on here? Let's do the big overview here. That um, these angels come 
to these shepherds out in the countrysides and they proclaim to them the coming birth in the city of David. The Messiah is coming. His baby is coming. And God's glory shines and the angels break out into song. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And everybody's maybe familiar with that, that carol. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. In excelsis. Okay, I'm going to stop. Y'all know that one. We, that one's like one of my favorite Christmas carols. But this comes, it comes right out of this passage here in Luke. But here in, in the angel song, okay, we see that Christmas spirit is a spirit of good news. It's a spirit of good news, a spirit of gospel. And, but here's the thing. The, the angel song tells us why we can have good news, why there is good news. And it, it says this, the Christmas spirit is a spirit of good news because God's favor rests, God's peace has come, and God's glory shines. And I want to focus on those three verbs, resting, coming, and shining. And that's just what we see here in this song. We're going to look at them backwards today. We're going to look at this backwards. We're going to look at the resting coming and eventually God's glory shining in this. So first of all, we can see that the angel's news was great news because, first of all, God's favor rests. God's favor rests. Luke is telling the Christmas story here. He's gone through in chapter one. We've seen Mary. We've seen uh, Zacharias. And we've seen him, you know, speaking to the, you know, proclaiming to these people that the Messiah has come. And then almost out of nowhere, it seems like, jumps tracks and he starts to tell us about a group of shepherds and how angels come to these shepherds. And I, here's the thing. We, we're all familiar with that story. We've seen it in Christmas pageants. We've seen it in cartoons. We've seen it on movies. And it's usually, you know, little kids with their bed sheets over their heads and there's little fluffy sheep. And it's all just so cute and quaint and all these different things. But um, the thing is, is if you go back in the context of what was going on, this is really, really unusual that Luke would bring this story in. Now, there was probably a lot of stories that, that Luke and the other gospel writers could have written about. And he could have picked any number of announcements that probably or likely happened. But we, we see that Luke picks this story about these shepherds. So why would this be unusual? Well, shepherds weren't these cute, quaint, you know, whatever. Shepherds at the time, they were on one of the lowest rungs of social status. They, they lived outside. They lived off the earth. They, they lived and worked with animals all the time. They were probably dirty, smelly, um, unwanted in most social circles. You wouldn't have invited them to your Christmas party. And here's the crazy thing is, Luke picks this story. Now, we can go back. We can look at Mary. We can say, you know, he picked the story. You know, of course he's going to tell us. And there's, of course there's this announcement of God to Mary because she's going to have to birth this baby. She's got to get the nursery ready maybe. You've got, you got to think. It makes practical sense that Mary would know. And maybe Joseph as well. Now, what about Zachariah? Yeah, he should know because he's about to have this son. And so he needs to know that he's going to have a baby even though it's older, especially because it's older in life or whatever. But then you come and you're like, Luke, why do these 
these shepherds need to hear this. I mean, think about these shepherds were probably as close to homeless guys as you're going to get. Like if you want a modern equivalent, these guys are homeless guys. They they live outside. They let you know. They they sleep outdoors. They live with animals. They probably smelled, and they were they were not what you would think would be receiving the announcement, the royal announcement that God's son is coming, the Messiah himself. And here Luke in, includes it. And I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason why this this story is included here. I think there's a reason why Luke picks all of these. He picks Mary, this obscure peasant girl from Podunk town of Nazareth. We saw that already. And he, he picked Zechariah, this priest, the unbelieving priest, who's probably lost all faith. And then he picks these unwanted shepherds. Here's the, here's the point here. There's a reason. Because God favors these people. He favors the obscure. He favors the broken, the unbelieving. He favors the, the, the homeless, the hurting, the weak, the poor. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. This is the good news right here. Because it says here that to, to the favor to whom God is pleased. Those to whom God's favor, his pleasure rests. So who does it rest on? This is the good news of the gospel. The Messiah has come so that God's favor can rest on broken, messed up, obscure people like you and me. Y'all heard the news, haven't you? Prince Harry finally proposed to Meghan Markle. The engagement is on. Everybody, the, the word is out. The, the, the date is set, like December 16th or December, whatever date it is. It's on a Saturday, kind of unusual. But here's the thing. How many of you guys are going? I don't see any hands. How many of you guys are going? No, why not? You know, okay, let's say, you, okay, it's too, maybe too expensive to fly to, to England. Well, let's say you have all that. You know, that's not a problem. Who's all going to go? None of you are going to go. You know why? Because none of you have received an invitation. None of you have gotten an invitation. Why? Because you have not received the favor of the house, the royal house of England. They don't even know you. They could care less about you. You are not invited, even if you wanted to be. But here's the point. Shepherds of all people are invited. You are invited. Obscure peasant girls like Mary, unbelieving priests like Zachariah, and even homeless guys like these shepherds. That's who's invited to the royal party. God's party. You are invited to it. That, my friends, is the gospel. No matter where you're from, no matter what your past is, what your present is, what your future is, you are invited to the story. That is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus... God sent his own son. That he would be, that's what these angels proclaim. That God would send his own son to live a life on our behalf, to die a death we deserve, to be raised again on the third day, and that those who believe would be invited to the party. That, they would that we would receive the divine approval of God. That we would be declared righteous and invited in to God's story. Not just as 
you know, stowaways, servants, slaves, that we would be invited in as his sons and daughters. God's favor rests. Let's look at that word. We said we're going to look at these verbs. Rest. It stops. It, it is no, it's no longer moving. And if you, here's a, 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 like a, a study habit you could try with scripture. is re- Delete a word and see if it's still the same. If you take out this word, God favor, and God, God's favor has come or whatever, what does that mean? If you take out the word rests, stops and rests, what does that mean? It means that it maybe is continuing to move on. So I have it today, but I don't have it tomorrow. You ever felt like that? Oh, I got up and had my quiet time. I did, did all the right things and, and everything. Or, you know, things are going well. So God's favor is on me. God has God is, God is pleased with me. Or he must be because things are going right. And then the next day comes. And you feel like, man, God can't love me like this. God can't love me because I did that. Bought that. Said that. So God's favor, here's the thing, the beautiful truth is it stops, it rests, it is, his mercy is new every day, it never ends, it never stops. So that's the first thing we see is that God's favor rests. The second thing in this psalm we see is that God's peace has come. What is peace? It's the end of hostility, isn't it? It's like the end of war, it's the end of stopping, it's the stopping of conflict, it's the end of conflict. That's what peace means in its basic idea. And that's here in this. But there's more to this word peace. Peace in the Bible, this word peace actually in the, in the New Testament, the Greek word is taken, and it was taken from the, 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 the Bible that they had at the time called the Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And this word regularly translates the word shalom. Now, if you don't even know Hebrew, you've probably heard the Hebrew word shalom. Well, shalom, we use the word peace to translate that, but it's so much more than our word peace. The word shalom definitely means a a stopping of conflict, an end of war, making reconciliation, those types of things. But it means a lot more than that. It means well-being, wholeness, rightness. In the Bible throughout the Old Testament, promising that eventually God was going to come back. He was going to restore things. He was going to make things right. He was going to bring wholeness and rightness, completeness, fullness, and it was going to come. That shalom would happen in this world. But here's the thing. Peace, this wholeness, this shalom, isn't something temporary. It's real. It's fixed. So, we could say it's not fake. It's not temporary. You know, it reminds me of a story that many of y'all maybe heard in, in, in the world, First World War in 1914. On the, on the, where the, the Allied armies were entrenched on one side and the, the German armies were entrenched on the others. And on Christmas Eve night, carols, the singing carols, Christmas carols break out on both lines. The Allied forces are singing and, and the, the German forces are singing. And a few brave German soldiers come out of their trenches into, um, out into no man's land with white flags waved and, and, and sang Happy Christmas to the Allied forces. And they met in the middle and there was this moment of peace where the Germans and the Allied forces are exchanging gifts and they're, um, they're singing songs together, eating together, and the next day war breaks back out. 
That, my friends, isn't peace. That's a truce. There's a difference between a peace and a truce. And what these angels are proclaiming is peace has come. Shalom has come. But there's a problem with this. There's a problem with this because it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like there's peace. Do you got peace in your heart? Is there peace around you? Is there peace in our world? No, there's, there's race relations that are problems. There's politics. There's allegations of this and that. There's, there's constant war, feels like. Peace doesn't seem to exist. Frankly, we as human beings, we really suck at peace. There's a study done of world history, and they determined that only 8% of world history had no wars happening. That's certainly true now. Even though the United States hasn't declared war since World War II, we've been at war almost constantly. This world is not at peace. So does this mean the angels were wrong? Does this mean the angels were wrong? There's a Christmas carol called Christmas Bells written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And it was during, he lived during the Civil War. And it was a Christmas day. And recently he had lost his wife to illness. And his son was being brought home from the Civil War battlefields, severely, critically injured. And on that Christmas morning, he, he writes this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he gets honest later on, a few verses down. He says, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He says, in despair, he bows his head. There's no peace on earth. It mocks the song, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's real honesty there. In despair, he bowed his head. So here's the thing. Were the angels wrong? And even Jesus himself tells us that, you know, the gospel, his, the message that he brings was going to divide families. It was going to bring about conflict. Then he goes on. He says this in John chapter 14. In, this, in John chapter 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you, I'm going to leave you the peace. But it's not the same peace that the world gives you. It's a, it's a peace that's way better than that. And these angels were proclaiming that the, these angels were proclaiming that peace, shalom had come. Here's the thing. Jesus came to secure peace, that shalom, a world where everything is right, uh, that would, where everything would be this, where it would be a permanent reality. But here's the thing. This shalom would only come in part until eventually Jesus would return again at his second coming. But he says, I give you a peace though. It's a peace deeper and, and more abiding and more real than anything this world could give you. He says, but it's not going to come in full. So how can we have this peace now? There is a peace that we can have now. Here's, I'm going to 
review real quickly the peace that we can have. We can, first of all, have peace from our past. Is there anything in your past that still causes you shame, embarrassment, or guilt? This song promises that you can be at peace. Is there anything in your past that brings you sadness, grief, loneliness? This song proclaim, promises and proclaims that you can be at peace. Is there anything in your past that brings you regret, regret over things done and said and hurt people that you loved? This song promises you can be at peace. The Bible says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We can have a peace knowing that God is with us and that God is bringing shalom and that his favor rests on us. Okay, so thirdly, we see that God's glory shines. God's glory shines. Now, here we come to the best part of this song, the most important part of this song, when the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest. And this is the most important part of this. This is what the angels sing day in and day out. We see in the Old Testament that these angels live and, and breathe singing glory to God. Why? Because it is absolutely essential that God be glorified. Here's the thing. If God is glorified, then we can be confident that he is indeed bringing peace because he said he is. And we can, we can be a part of that peace and know that we are a part of that story because his favor is actually resting upon us. Wadsworth knew this. Though in despair, he bowed his head saying there's no peace on earth. He could also say this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not death, dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. It's in fact because, this is, we know this, because he sent his own son. That's what this message, song proclaims. His son was coming to live a life that we couldn't live, to die, that we perfectly deserved. And now, because of that, and because he raised on the third day, he lives again. We have a certain hope of real peace. We know that God is actually going to be glorified. We have confidence and assurance that God will be glorified. We have peace now because we know God is going to be glorified. And, and knowing that, He has favor on us. He is going to be glorified. We can rest. We can have hope. We can have peace in our hearts. So here's a question for you. Do you have God's favor? Is the pleasure of God on you? I'm going to tell you, if it's not, it's, all you have to do is believe and trust what he did for you and his son Jesus' work. By dying for your sins, being raised on the third day, you believe and trust your trust into him. You can have the favor of God forever. And because of that, you can have peace. Do you have peace in your life? Do you have a peace that transcends the chaos of going on around us? And lastly, 
Are you seeking 